On Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. Happy to be back again here with you. And, wow, this is really cool. Today, a special show. The first of hopefully many shows with my one and only daughter, Kyra Altman. And, uh, Kyra, first let me just say... As your dad and someone who loves you, it is a thrill to have you on this show. Thank you. It's a thrill to be here. <laughs> so um, I thought Kyra would be uh, great to bring in as a thought leader and an expert on the topic of self-advocacy and assertiveness. Um, Kyra is the founder, and she made sure I say this, the founder and chill executive officer of LEAD, which specializes in mental health and DEI-based education for HR professionals and leadership teams. And Kyra has been building up this skill set for the better part of the last 10 years anyways. And so I just, you know, we did a show last week on uh, feeling like backed into a corner. Employers who are trying to reverse the trend and stem the tide of the great resignation. This show is on the flip side. This is the employee perspective. And why have employees reached this point of no return? But before we get into the show, Kyra, we need to learn a little bit more about what you do. So mental health space, boy, you know, talk about an industry that is so hard to crack in the corporate sector. So I guess I want to start for you, you know, what attracted you to mental health and where did this passion come from? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are many social issues that I am passionate about and that I could talk about for many a podcast. With that said, all of them connect me to the social issue of mental health advocacy and awareness because every single human being on this planet has mental health, can and should improve their mental health, and there's huge opportunity in that. So Kyra, I feel like the the words mental health, I want I want to start here. You were the one that taught me this a long time ago, that when we use words, I hope I'm remembering, my teacher's here, so hopefully I'm remembering this right. But when you use words or when, when a person uses words like depression and anxiety, those words, if need to be clinically diagnosed to have depression, anxiety, is that correct? So super close. So I typically will say a mental illness is a diagnosable condition. So Mm. even if it's not diagnosed, it still has symptoms that are diagnosable. A mild mental illness is still more severe than the everyday stressors or sadness that we may feel that are typical human experiences. Now, I do have a mental illness, and I think that that advocacy is super important. But why I love mental health is because you don't need to have a mental illness to improve your mental health. So and and die excuse me depression and anxiety are considered mental illnesses correct yes. okay so to me and you you know you know you and i have had countless conversations about this i feel like if you don't have that clinical diagnosis um what would be some mental health challenges that you could be having in the workplace even without those diagnoses totally and i love that you use the phrase mental health challenges versus mental illnesses or anything else or even diagnosable conditions so mental health challenges are typical life experiences that is stress that is anxiety that is panic that is imposter syndrome that is lack of motivation lack of productivity distracted focus all of those things mental health exists 
exists on a spectrum like most things, and we typically swim along that. Now, a mental health challenge like some that I just mentioned can eventually get worse or with other risk factors present become a mental illness or a diagnosable condition. But for the most part, it can stay swimming up and down that spectrum. So when organizations are looking at 20 million people who've left their company and they're trying to understand the root cause, like why is all this happening? And we know it's not as simple like there's one reason. There's lots of reasons. Where does mental health fit into that great resignation trend? So I think companies confuse self-care and wellness in the workplace with staying alive. And here's what I mean by that. We like to think eating three healthy meals a day, that obviously healthy food costs money, right? So having a fair wage as well, or taking breaks or spending time outside or spending time with our family, we view that as a luxury or as self-care, when in reality, those things literally keep us breathing. We wouldn't stop eating and drinking food because we have too much work to do. I mean, sometimes we do, but if we do that for too long, we die, right? So it really comes down to, companies and organizations have forgotten that people want to stay alive. They also want to practice self-care. And those things need to be in complement with their work life, not in contrast or at in conflict with. So I talked on our last show, Kyra, about the premise of a person that goes to the doctor for a checkup and the doctor says, geez, you have high blood pressure. You're going to have to change your eating habits. And that's what I mean when I said backed into a corner, because we typically are willing to change habits when we reach that point where we have no choice but to. Mm -hmm. So in the workplace, clearly that's not happening because the great resignation, which with the trend started happening long before the pandemic, what do we have to have happen where when we look at burnout and stress and overwhelm, where employers start saying, you know, this is a real problem. Like, cause, the, cause I don't think most employers still get it. They don't. Um, however, most employers that I know at the end of the day can connect around the idea of they care about their teams and they want what's best for them. They might just not know how to get there. Um, on that same note, I think for employees, what is not being said out loud often is still being held by them. So they're still holding on to this stress or this feeling of not being wanted or valued at work or whatever those feelings might be that stays with them that affects their performance. And unless employers model that open conversation, both parties might want the best, but they are, there's no bridge to bridge them. Well, and so Kyra's touching upon a point that she and I are both very much in sync on and in the mindset wellness platform, one of the things we talk about is when we use words like wellness, my experience with wellness platforms are they're solution based. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're stressed, do yoga, do your meditation. There's all these programs, do more exercise. You're not eating right. Let's put you on nutrition programs and fitness apps and things like that. You're not sleeping enough. Here's some sleep plan and sleep strategy. Everything is solution based. And the thing is, every human being is different. And the first step, Kyra, in my opinion, that we need to do, and I love what you just said about fostering that conversation for even taking place. First step even beyond that is, how do we get to the root cause of the real problem? Because if people aren't eating well, sleeping well, you know, have a lot of stress, you can't just put like this magic pill solution that's going to solve for everybody. Not only that. 
by telling someone, go do yoga, go fix your nutrition intake, whatever that might be, you are making it about you and not about them. And you're taking a solution-based approach maybe, but not a strength-based one. And so what I usually say when we're teaching even about self-care is I say, I could stand up here and teach you a hundred new self-care tricks, but you could also Google those and get those. What I actually want you to do instead is think about a time in your life when you were so dark, so deep in it, really having a hard time. What strategy did you use to get through that to be here having this conversation with me right now? And usually when people think back and use their existing strengths, existing practices, mm. and then incorporate those into their work day, it is 10 times more effective than someone saying you should go do yoga. The shoulds we want to keep out of the conversation instead ask that inquisitively and authentically. Yeah. And to Kyra's point, when she talks about the shoulds, I think that's a critical thing because from a motivation perspective, it's hard enough to have the courage and confidence to advocate for yourself and be assertive. But if you feel like it's an obligation or an expectation, that's not a good starting point for motivation, right? Definitely. And I also want to say that self-advocacy is not a naturally existent skill. It's actually, I just taught a session in Portland, Oregon on mistake making. Also, apologizing, not a normal skill that we normalize or that we practice. Same with self-advocacy. So if your employees are not being given the language and the tools to actually advocate for themselves, it might not happen. And that's just the reality of it. So Kyra, you know, one other thing before we go to our first break, I just want to build on what you just said. When you say the skills to do it themselves, most of the leaders in place, they're not even qualified to teach this. I mean, isn't that part of the bigger part of the problem? Well, yes. And that's also because these social skills, as I say in air quotes, are undervalued when in reality, the data shows us they are more valuable than some of those on paper hard skills. All right. So when we come back for our second segment, Kyra, here's where we're going to go. You talked about um, facilitating the conversation. And here's the thing, when, when you look at why most people leave their jobs, it's actually because of leadership or poor communication. But when I say leadership, I want to be specific. It means the kind of culture you've created. Mm -hmm. It means setting unreasonable expectations, high demands on the job. So that's what I mean. And when it's I... almost never money, by the way. That's right. The data says it's not the money, it's the culture. So you're 100% right. Right. So, so leadership and communication are the two primary factors. So when we come back, we're going to talk about what are the fundamental things needed to create psychological safety? How do you create an environment where people feel heard and comfortable mm -hmm. speaking up? So when we come back from our first break, we will discuss that. For Kyra Altman, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I am here with my one and only daughter, Kyra Altman, Chill Executive Officer of LEAD, an organization that specializes in mental health and DEI-based education. And we're, we promised when we came back, we would talk about creating psychological safety. Now, before I even go there, Kyra, I just want to speak for a few seconds on this. So if you are looking at why people are leaving, we often wait till exit interviews to find out when people are quitting, like, so, hey, what went wrong? And what were you unhappy about? And what lessons are there learned? So if you really want to know the truth, if you really want to understand people's individual wants and needs, you know, you have to get them comfortable to tell you. 
and open up because you can put all these programs in place, but if people don't have that comfort level, it doesn't matter. So we talked about how leadership, poor leadership and poor communication are the primary reasons people leave their jobs and they want an environment where they feel heard, comfortable speaking up. And here's the magic words, Kyra, speaking up without fear of reprimand, retaliation, or rejection. So if companies are going to start prioritizing psychological safety, where do they start? The answer in my mind is vulnerability. So a quote by Brene Brown that I absolutely love um, is that when we meet someone new, the first thing that we look for in them is vulnerability, but the last thing we want to show them is vulnerability. And I think that that's such an interesting piece of this conversation. So in order to build psychological safety for employees to be able to speak up and to want to speak up, I think it begins with leadership being vulnerable and also speaking up right for themselves. So expressing when their mental health is in decline or when they're having a hard time or talking and normalizing the things, the self-care strategies or healthy practices they're using to help themselves be successful at work. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability and that can create a space that almost slowly breaks down those power dynamics that may exist. So Kyra, I want to confirm something. So when you say, um, I want to know what showing vulnerability means. So mm -hmm. if I heard you correctly, it feels like part of what your answer is, you're talking about leading with empathy. You're talking about um, sharing your own experiences. So for example, if someone is coming to you saying, I feel overwhelmed, I feel burned out, is the reaction that a, an effective, vulnerable leader would say is, you know, I understand that must be really difficult. And I get it because, frankly, I'm feeling some of the same things. Is that what you're talking about or am I missing some components of that? So, no, only because, but with a little bit of a pivot or a tweak. So typically, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm having a really hard time with whatever, if you immediately respond with, yeah, like I've experienced that too, it can sometimes be invalidating because you haven't experienced their exact thing. But what you could say to them is, hey, I know a lot of people have had similar experiences. I'm one of them. Would it be helpful if I shared my experience and also how I coped with it? Now, that's still giving the power back to the person that's hurting to begin with and not making it about you by asking that very direct question. So I would say that is a piece of it. So Kyra, let, let's go with this for a minute because I thought that was this fabulous. So I'm going to be a stubborn leader. I'm going to play the role of a stubborn leader for a moment. And I just heard you say that. And I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, I guess, what's that going to do? So I'm just going to sit there and say, you know, I know a lot of people have had similar experiences. I'm one of them. Would it be helpful if I share? What's that? What, what does do? that get? It's going to make them feel seen and prioritized because it's no longer about you. It's about them. You can also follow up that, you know, would it be helpful if I shared this with what do you need from me? Not you should do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but what do you need from me when you're feeling these things or when you're experiencing this challenge or what do you need from your workplace to feel valued, supported, and seen? And that also brings us into that subtopic of diversity, equity, and inclusion and what inclusion and belonging also feels like in the workplace. So Kyra, let's back up a second. Let's talk about we're talking about a reactive conversation, right? Mm. So someone comes to you, you're trying to get them comfortable, open up. Let's talk about a proactive conversation because hence the great resignation, right? Sure. So let's, let's pretend you are intuitive enough and empathic enough as a leader 
that you have someone or a group of people at your company who you know are struggling mm -hmm. and you know they haven't really come to you, but you just know you've seen some changes and you just have that feeling. So now I approach that conversation and we talk about this at Mindset Go all the time around conversation intelligence, how to have these conversations. So how does a leader start a conversation um, proactively mm. um, without the person feeling like put on the spot or feeling like they need to defend themselves or something like that? So it, it might be more simple than many people think. It's just a proactive conversation, right? So it's setting an hour out of every quarter where you all get together and you share what's going on in your personal lives and how does that affect your work lives or what do you need from leadership? I think leadership also needs to switch the mindset of I'm in this role because I've worked so hard and I deserve it and I should have this power or control to instead as a leader in this company, I have the privilege of creating a space that supports the human beings I care about. And that's something I'm proud of at LEAD. You know, I've built a workplace that I would, am proud that my employees work there and they're proud to work there because they know they are cared for and seen in their whole self. So in a one-on-one -on -one conversation though, you would walk up, the way I would coach people to do it, that, that our clients of Mindset Go is, I would say something, you know, like, and first of all, let's take a step back because one of the challenges in having these conversations is if you don't normally have these conversations with people and your typical interaction mm -hmm. with someone that works for you is to give them constructive or critical feedback, then first, that's your first problem because it's going to be coming out of left field. Well, and feedback is about you again, not about them. So it's also about, again, checking your goals of that conversation. I also don't know if walking up to somebody is ever the right choice for a conversation that really would benefit from feeling not rushed and being able to dive deeper. Oh, so true. potentially saying to folks, hey, we're going to get together as a community, as a workplace community. We're going to talk through some of these challenges and you're going to have ample time to prepare so you don't feel stressed coming to this meeting as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think part of the challenge that we both have in, in, in shifting the habits and mindsets of corporations is you have to make it so incremental. You know, there's a lot of organizations out there that know they have a flawed culture. Mm. At the end of the day, to change your culture is an enormous ask. If, it's, if, it's, if the leaders in that culture have been ingrained in their ways for mm -hmm. so long. So I agree those would be good techniques. I'm just thinking of, I like what Kyra's saying about setting time aside. I like what she's saying about setting enough time aside so it's not rushed. And I think in those conversations, if you are genuinely and authentically interested in the well-being of the people you work with and you start the conversation, you make some small talk and it's like, look, you know, I've observed some things that are inconsistent with what I've seen in the past and I'm not looking for you to feel bad or guilty or defend it. I just want to know, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And if the focus of it is, and by the way, Kai, that's, that's a big thing I do is the elephant in the room. Don't feel the need to defend yourself or justify or anything. That's not what we're talking about. And I think that's a good starting point in those one-on-ones. Yeah. Well, so we, we teach also care um, and connection before correction as well. Mm. So when Love you that. are going up to somebody, it's not about... I think what you said was a really great example of a non-accusatory statement, but you can also start with the, I'm concerned about you. I care about you. Here's what I've noticed. How can I best help you in this moment? Or can you walk me through what's been going on? So I think that approach is really important too. So I just need to repeat what Kyra just said, because 
I just said in the previous, before she just said that, I said, we need to make things simple and incremental. How simple is care and connection before correct? That is such an easy slogan to remember. And, I, you know, I always teach of default to curiosity and lead with empathy. Care and connection before correction, that is it. Even just connection before correction. Right, even just right? connection before because correction. Because you're showing somebody also, I see you. This conversation is about you, not me. And I'm here as a supporter of you. And that is powerful in itself. And even if you're frustrated or you've got other stuff, a lot of those challenges, that stuff will over time deteriorate if you are showing consistent compassion, care, and support. Okay. So now Kyra, when we come back for our next segment, I want to lead into this a little bit. We're going to talk about where so many leaders struggle that I see with emotional and conversational intelligence is what happens when you've done all the things we've been talking about, Mm. care and connection before correction, you're empathizing, you're normalizing, like checking off all those, you're sitting there and go, Kyra and Mark would be so proud of you right Mm -hmm. now, right? And then you are doing this and you look at the employee and said, what can I do? What would be helpful here? And the employee's like, I don't know. And people are not expected, expecting to be put on the spot, to be, especially if that's not even a normal conversation. So what do you do, Kyra? And I'll share when we come back for our next segment. I want to know from you first, what are your thoughts on when you, when people don't cooperate in those conversations, where do you go next? Oh, I already have ideas. All right. So hang on. Kyra will give you those ideas when we come right back. For I Communicate and Kyra Altman, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, so... So just to set some context, in our last segment, I promised Kyra would lead us with, you know, what to do when people don't cooperate in conversations. And I just want to share a quick 30-second anecdote, Kyra. This is really funny to me. We have a lot of clients who were working on emotional intelligence and managing their emotions. And I'll get them in coaching sessions or training sessions subsequent, like continuous learning. And they'll go, I'm like, how's it going? Have you been using it? They'll be like, I have. And I go, so what's going on? Well, I started out great. Mm-hmm. You know? I did everything you said. I was self-aware. I was managing my emotions. And then they got defensive. And then they got angry. And then they got frustrated. And it kind of threw me off. And so that's the thing about cooperation and conversation and care. And wait, wait, so what is it? I want to... Connection Con- before correction. Connection before correction. Which maybe is not mine. So I don't want to well, claim that if it's not. But who knows? Well, I just have, you know... I I'm going to give it to it's you. It's accurate. I'm going to give it to okay. you. So... Um, so the thing is, is it's easy to start out when all the, everything's going well, but when people don't cooperate and they get suspicious, Kyra, like if this conversation's never been had before, like where's this coming from? What do you do? Well, so Mark Altman, <laughs> I would first, I think it's interesting that you use the words when people don't cooperate, because that again means that you want them to agree with or cooperate cooperate with you again it's about you versus the employee so what i so so that's one separate piece to answer the original question Mm -hmm. of what do you do if they don't cooperate or if they don't know what to do when you ask them how can i help you i think the answer or the next question to ask is how do you want to feel in your 
best, most balanced state at work. So you might not know what you need, but you might know what you want to feel like once you've gotten those needs met. And from there, once you have those words, like I want to feel in control or relaxed or purposeful, then you can follow up with that employee and say, okay, what do you need to do? personally and what do we need to do as your support to help approach that goal i also think being compassionate with goals and if they are not realistic and if we're not getting that practice in it's okay to also tweak that goal to make sure it's attainable and can promote sustainability yeah so wonderful thoughts i um i want to go back to the what do you need to do and what do we need to do um i am a big fan of that because one of the foundational principles, Kyra, we teach at Mindset Go is the sphere of influence. And the sphere of influence, you know, what what can you control? What can't you control? But the one people forget is what can you influence and how can you influence uh, results and actions differently? So when you say, what do you need to do? Mm-hmm. I love that because it empowers the mm-hmm. person to say, hey, there's some things I can do here. And it comes back to that strength-based approach. You know yourself better than anyone else on this planet. So what do you know you need to do for yourself to get to that feeling of blank? Yeah, that's fabulous. And And when you ask an open-ended question, like how do you want to feel in your best and most balanced state at work? First of all, that is so powerful beyond the fact that it's, the fact that it's an open-ended question is not why it's powerful. It creates imagery, visualizing. Mm -hmm. And so when you ask a person, a person is not used to feeling like they have say in that. So like when you open that door, how do you want to feel in my best and most balanced state at work? It's given people an opportunity to think a little differently and shift their mindset. And Kyra, I will tell you that one of the challenges that I encounter with leaders is they're scared to ask that question Mm -hmm. because they're worried that the response is going to be something that they can't fix Mm -hmm. or change. And I I will give you the example, and I'm going to ask you a question in a moment, but I'm going to give you the example I always give. If there was someone that worked for me that I wanted to recognize and appreciate, and I said, Kyra, boy, you've been doing a great job for Mindset Go. I'd like to do something special for you. Is there anything I can do that would mean a lot to you? Let's say the person comes back and says, well, I could use a new car. Well, that doesn't obligate me to buying them a new car. I would actually respond to that and say, I get it. I, would, I, I could use a new car too, perhaps something a little more realistic. So when you offer an open-ended question and let people visualize and feel empowered, it doesn't obligate you to do all of what they're saying, but it allows them to shift their mindset. Agreed? Agreed. And it also invites vulnerability from the end of the person asking the question. So if someone said that to me, I would say to them, you know what? I am so sorry. I can't give that to you. I value you. I love you, depending on your culture. Um, And I wish I could give you a car. And it frustrates me that I can't. It frustrates me that I also don't have a car from this company. But with that said, I care so much. How can we find maybe another option that would be just as meaningful? So not so much, let's be realistic, because that could also feel invalidating to folks. But what is another option that I might have more power to help you with? So Kyra, I'm also another, I'm also a big fan of Brene Brown as well. And I, I love her concepts around vulnerability. You also know that I've taught you about this in the past. Word choice scares Mm. people. Mm -hmm. So how can we normalize the word vulnerability, especially, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to stigmatize and stereotype, but I'm going to say that 
this is a much more significant issue for 40, 50, and 60-year-old men who are leaders. So how do we get them? Because if we say to a leader, a 60-year-old leader, he needs to be more vulnerable. He's going to yep. be like, huh? Yep. I'm not doing that. Yep. How do we normalize that? Hmm. So I know this is a silly answer to that, but I think the answer is still in vulnerability. So I'll tell you a quick story. At the last conference I was teaching a session at, um, a an older black man came up to me at the end of the session and said to me, I love all that you're saying about self-care and vulnerability and all of this stuff. But as a man who's literally read books on vulnerability, I still am so uncomfortable with it. And Brene Brown doesn't exactly speak to me. So on one end of it, right, Brene Brown is also speaking from a very white perspective with no other challenges playing out. So that's something to just acknowledge. Also, I said to this man, I said, I think literally what you just did with me, you telling me how uncomfortable right. vulnerability point. makes you, Great point. that is vulnerability. And guess what? If you, because he his question was, I work with young boys and I want them to feel vulnerable, especially young black boys and boys of color. How can I model that? And I said, literally by having this same conversation with them. I struggle so hard with this conversation right now. I'm doing it because I care about you. And I want you to have a different experience with this realness, this authenticity that I'm trying to show you. I think that's fabulous. And I want to say that Kyra actually alluded in our last segment to a way to do this as well. And I want to recall it. You know, and I want to back up by saying if you're a sports coach, Kyra and I both like sports, playing, watching sports. If you're a sports coach, and you have a, a, a team where you're coaching seventh or eighth graders, and let's say it's a baseball team, mm -hmm. and let's say the person is struggling to stop ground balls. As a coach, you may say to that player, you know, when I was your age, you know, I struggled to stop ground balls too. And remember when Kyra said, um, a lot of people have had similar experiences as you. I am one of them. Would it be helpful right. to share? That's vulnerability to a T. And you're saying you're not alone, but this is still about you. Right. And so... If you as a coach are hearing that right now, if you've done any kind of sports coaching in your career, and that's just sports is just one example, and you can relate to that story, yeah, I would say something like that. Is that so hard? Like, is it so hard? Why does it? Why? Well, it is, right? That's why. why we're talking about it. It's hard because it's the last thing we want to show to other people. It makes us feel weak. It makes us feel like we might not have power or control over what someone will do in response to us or in reaction to us. And that is not, humans don't like that lack of control. That's also why we categorize every single thing that comes to in our, you know, consciousness. We like feeling in control. We like having names for everything. We like having language for everything. That is very human. Yeah. And frankly, I think for a lot of leaders where it really comes down to, and this is not even a man thing by any stretch, a lot of it is it, it makes people feel weak and less than. Mm -hmm. And so what it comes down to is if you admit some kind of flaw or vulnerability, I had, I did a workshop about a month ago and a woman in the workshop raised her hand and said, I don't feel comfortable saying I don't know because mm -hmm. I think they expect me, they expect me to have all the answers yeah. and know everything. And that's what Kyra's speaking to. I but I will say a great follow-up question to her is, have you ever heard a leader say, I don't know, right? Because if you don't see it, 
how can you also well, enact it? So if, if that has not been modeled, that it's okay not to know, no wonder somebody might not feel comfortable saying it as well. It's all about modeling, normalizing these conversations in this language, not just once a year in Mental Health Awareness Month or whatever, but every single day it should be built into the foundation of your culture. Which, which brings us full circle, Kyra, before we go into a break for our last segment, lead by example. You've got so many leaders right now yep. who you'll ask them, tell me what your best leadership skill, and they'll be so proud. Oh, I lead by example. And I always say, you know what? Lead by example is a flawed leadership strategy because it implies that they're only noticing your good examples and not your bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what Kyra just said is you have to have the template. So if you're setting that kind of culture and foundation leading by example, like that's amazing. Which by the way, does not mean you're not gonna make mistakes because you're human, making mistakes is human. But what it does mean is that when you make a mistake, you're not gonna run and hide and act like it never happened. You're gonna be vulnerable, admit to that mistake, take accountability and apologize, right? And apologies are again, super uncomfortable for most people and you don't hear it often. On my last you know, mistake making workshop, I had somebody stand up and said, I don't think anyone has ever apologized to me in a way that I felt it was meaningful or authentic <laughs> in her life, uh -oh. in her life, yep. right? Like, what is that? So, wow. Okay. So we're going to be right back for our final segment on point of no return, how employees can advocate for themselves and be assertive to stem the tide of the great resignation. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, we're back for the final segment of I Communicate. We've got the tandem of Altmans, which is more than anybody could probably handle. i just <laughs> throw that out there. Um, in any event, um, so I'm with Kyra Altman. And if you're just listening and joining in now, just want to reiterate, Kyra is the founder and chill executive officer of LEAD, specializes in mental health and DEI-based education for HR professionals and leadership teams. So Kyra, I want to go to the end for a moment because... You know, I was joking before, and I thought you did a great job speaking to that whole cooperation piece. But when you have a conversation, and I want to go from the employer's perspective, employee's perspective, excuse me. So an employee says, you know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to speak up for what I want and need. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to be confident. And I just want to stress as a starting point, people who know me and know my training coaching know I'm very big on word choice. Yep. Assertive behavior. And the greatest word choice does not mean complain or vent. It has nothing to do with complain and venting. It means sharing and educating. So you are assertive. You have the conversation. What is a goal or a couple of goals an employee should have at the end of that conversation, aside from what you and I would say is a baseline feeling validated and heard? So I want to start with just kind of the context, the foundation for that conversation not every company has psychological safety or inclusive policies that allow for it. So safety is always number one, especially if you are an employee who comes from any sort of historically marginalized group, you may be reprimanded, you may be fired. So I think safety first, know your culture, know um, what you're, you're able to do. And if psychological safety is even present to begin with. What if it's unclear? Stop. What if it's ambiguous? 
that's an- another podcast maybe, right? Like, okay. and then I think the next step is to also, just like an employer should not make you feel rushed into an answer, do the same thing, right? Say to your employer, hey, I have some great ideas. I would love to share them with you. When is a good time where I can have your full attention? Lay the foundation. Don't make them feel pushed into a corner or stressed or anxious and instead lay that foundation. And then from there, don't make it about the external factors. Like, I wish we had snacks at work or I wish I could go home early. Forget about that. Think about the emotions underneath the behaviors or those external factors. So for example, I often feel like I have to sacrifice my health and my meals because of the burnout I feel at work. How can we work on that together? Or how can you help me address those concerns? So what would be the goal then for the employee? So depending on the employer and what they're willing to do, I think the first goal is you want to feel heard, right? And then the second goal would be to have some sort of accountability or tangible change that comes from the end of the employer. You can also say to them, would you feel comfortable if I followed up with you in a month to check to see the progress on this new practice that we're trying out? Or can we set up a time every few months just to kind of check in and see how we can best support one another? It's not about me against you. It's about us working together for the collective goal of making our business values come to fruition. So Kyra, I'm big on when people present problems or educate and share about problems that they offer solutions. Mm. So is it a reasonable goal? Like we said, listening and, and validating, yes, that's the bare minimum you would hope, not a guarantee, unfortunately. Right, you hope. Um, but I think for me, um, making a request for an incremental change, um, I think it's important that the employee goes in that conversation with some clarity. They don't have to have all the answers. They don't even have to have the whole answer, but I think they should be able to come to the answer conversation and say, look, here's what I'm hoping will be different. Right. And And here's what that will feel like for me. Right. So coming back to those underlying feelings. So, for example, you being more flexible with my childcare needs at home. Right. Here's what that looks like from you. Here's what that sounds like from you or other people on our team. And here's what that will end up feeling like for me. And if I don't feel those things, are you willing to revisit this conversation so we can still find a way to overcome this together? Well, I think the point Kyra made just there is it's subtle, but it's critical. And that is um, the follow-up or the plan B, Mm -hmm. right? There's got to be next steps, right? Because at the end of conversation, not everything's going to be solved in one conversation for sure. So I think, Kyra, if we gave our listeners the baseline, um, goal number one is to be heard. Mm -hmm. Goal number two is to make some requests incremental change requests and realistic. I wouldn't even say make requests. I would say share mental health challenges, share your feelings, right? And then figure out how that translates to a change in behavior. But the sharing of your feelings, that vulnerability is what's going to open you up to solution giving later on. But you got to make a request though. I mean, how, how you, you got you to have an ask. Yeah. Right. So I still think you got to make the request. Share if, your feelings. If your goal is that solution. I think some people's goals are literally just to be heard. So I think it just depends. But so, yes. so be heard. Yep. Share your feelings and make an incremental change request if you'd like things to be different. Mm-hmm. And third is what's going to be the follow up 
in next steps, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's future meetings, whether it's a plan B, whether it's what I call nagging rights, which is not a right. great way to Can say. Can I hold you accountable? Yeah. Or how do you plan on holding yourself accountable to make sure this change is enacted? Yeah, that's a tricky question for an employee to ask a leader. I mean, it's a good question, but I think for an employee to say, how are you going to hold yourself accountable? Right. We'd have to massage that language but a little from bit. from the employee's perspective, and obviously it's a privilege to be able to say, you know what, I'm no longer working here. I'm going to find a new job. It also comes down to if this is not the culture that works for you and that is meeting you, your needs and getting you to experience a happy work-life balance, quit right? Like say no, set a boundary. It's not an option for everyone. But if it is that bad, part of these changing tides that we're seeing, part of that is people saying, no, I deserve to be treated better. And I will find another workplace that does value me because they do exist. And I think a lot of people are afraid that they don't, but they do. And we are moving in a way that will get us to have even more workplaces that become that healthier, psychologically safe environment. Yeah. So a couple of things about what Kyra said, I just want to caution people. Um, you know, there's this saying the grass is always greener. I don't want you to lower your standards at all. I want you to be clear about your mm -hmm. standards. And I, boundaries. And boundaries. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand what will make you happy. You know, when I look at healthcare, we work with a lot of healthcare clients. And I know one of the challenges for healthcare right now, it's been, if not the one hit most during the pandemic. Part of the challenge is, do I, do I not like my company anymore because of what's going on in the healthcare? Or is it not really about my company? Is it about the pandemic? Is it about the industry of healthcare? And I think it's important when you're doing that debrief for yourself, self-reflection, what is it? Is it the company? Is it the industry? Is it the pandemic? And kind of have some attribution around that because mm -hmm. I think, look, I think self-reflection is amazing. It's really hard for a lot of people. I think you're, so many people are better at self-reflection if you have someone to coach you through it and mm -hmm. facilitate you through it. So that's one thing. The other thing I want to add, Kyra, in just our closing minutes here is I think expectations, um, you know, the rule of thumb and mindset go is you're only allowed to have expectations if they're articulated and agreed on, right? That's the only way you have expectations. Um, and I say that because with leaders, when someone isn't performing the way you want them to perform, a lot of times leaders will have expect to have one conversation and just say, okay, so here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to do it. And then the behavior doesn't change because habit change takes time. Right. And it works the other way. If you're an employee, I think when Kyra and I talk about goals for that conversation, I'll tell you, even more than the three goals we said, it's their reaction. You know, are they open-minded? Are they mm, sitting there saying, yeah. wow, you know, we're so happy you shared. Thank you for having the courage. This is something that's been on our radar. Or is it, you know, we'll do the best we can or whatever. So I right. think the expectations you have about their reaction, the culture, just make sure if, if this is really where you want to be, just understand for organizations, habit change takes time too. I, I agree. And I also think that if you, I would tell anyone, if you're unhappy with your organizations, whatever, but they're open and willing to hear you exactly. and willing to change, then you better stay because that those are the people that you want to be with and you can grow together and you can make that positive change together. But if they are not receptive, there are other options. And what I see are people that have been in the same industry for a long time who don't know that there are other types of workplaces out there. And so for anyone listening who's like, 
wow, like I'm just, you know, that hamster on a wheel and I need something different. If it is safe to do so, if you have the money to do so, it might be time to think about a change. Yeah. And I want to go back to something as we end our show. Um, Kyra, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I want to end with tie everything together with something Kyra said. You know, we're talking about conversations, right? And we talked about, Kyra said earlier in the show, how do you want to feel in your best and most balanced state of work? Why am I bringing that up to end the show today? Simply because, Kyra, I find when I talk to executives that are struggling and do I, is this still the right company? I ask them, I'll Mm -hmm. say, if you were to be interviewed and someone were to say to you, what would you like to see differently than you currently have? If you can't articulate that, then it all starts with your articulating what you want, what you need, how you'd like to feel, how things would be different. And proactively asking employees, what do you see that could be different, right? Because maybe not being able to answer that question also comes back to not having that open door that allows people to feel comfortable to come and give feedback or suggestions. Love it. Love it. Uh, okay. So Kyra, thank you so much for joining us for Mark Altman and Kyra Altman. Kyra, really quickly, if we want to learn more information about lead, how do we do that? Why wait? Go to www.leadnow.org. You can also reach out to us um, on Facebook, all the social media, even TikTok has been a fun um, <laughs> advancement lately as well. Okay. All right. And one last thing, Kyra's a huge dog and plant person. We didn't get a chance to explore that on the show today. For I Communicate, Kyra Altman, I'm Mark Altman. We'll see you next time.